0: Welcome to the Lost Roman Heroes podcast. My name is Matthew.
1: And my name is Matteo.
0: And together we're diving deep into the history of Rome from its founding to its death, uncovering Rome's greatest heroes along the way and ranking them. Welcome to episode number 28, Octavian Part 2. Okay.
1: We're finally here.
0: We're here, Matteo. Octavian's about to start making some serious moves. But before we get in, I just want to say a very special thanks to our listeners for putting up with us over the last couple episodes where our sound quality tanked hardcore. It um,
1: was unintentional.
0: It was. We're still learning the ropes. We're still newbies at this. And uh, Mateo and I are separated by the Atlantic Ocean and some mountains. And uh, it just took us a little while to figure out the technical aspect of this thing from a distance. I guess if we were smarter, we would have done it faster. But we've done it now. So thank you for bearing with us very much. All right. Are you ready? Ready. So... We have so much ground to cover with Octavian. I do believe that Octavian is going to be a four-episoder. Caesar was a three. I think we're going to four on Octavian. But I, I can't see how anybody else in this podcast is going to get anywhere close. So I hope we make it worthwhile to our listeners.
1: Where oh, ex- You got to have confidence. It is going to be worthwhile.
0: Of course it's going to be worthwhile. Who said it? It wasn't. So where do we end last episode? Let me catch us up, Mateo. And let's see if this, if this jogs your memory a little bit. We ended last episode with 19 year old Octavian and his BFF Agrippa leaving Cicero's house and strolling down the Appian way. You remember that?
1: I do remember. We
0: just talked about. (laughs) Okay. I'm, I'm just checking. I'm just checking. So these guys had just gotten back to Rome uh, from hanging out with Caesar's Macedonian legions in Albania. Caesar had been killed two months before. Caesar was killed on March 15th of 44. And this is now May, early May of 44. The
1: wind is still fresh.
0: Oh, so fresh. So fresh. To say that things were tense in Rome would be a gross understatement. Um, You had... On one side, Mark Antony. On the other side, you have the Senate. And and yet on another side, you had the Liberators, these guys that had murdered Julius Caesar. They were no longer in the city, but their presence was definitely still there. And you can imagine many people in the Senate sympathized with what they had done.
1: But then you had still some other bigger parties, other big parties, like the Pompeii, the rem- remnants of Pompeii.
0: That's true. Sextus Pompeius. Now, he was still out there for sure. You're right. So that there it were was a
1: big Western standoff.
0: It was you're right. It was like a big Western standoff. Actually, that's that's a cool analogy. So you had Sextus Pompeius in the south somewhere being a pirate. Arg. You had Brutus and Cassius that that went to the east. And then you had Decimus in the north, in Alpine Gaul. And you so you had the Caesarians on one side, the Liberators on the other, and this bunch of senators in the middle, Sextus Pompeius out there. It was a powder keg. And into this toxic brew, into this explosive situation, strolls two 19-year-old best friends. And everybody and their mother is waiting for civil war to erupt again, right? That civil war that's been on and off and on and off for 70 plus years, Caesar had brought it to an end, but you can just, it all, all it would take is the slightest little spark. And not only does the civil war erupt again, not only does the Republic blow up, but it might spell the end of Rome itself. So we ready?
1: Situation is dire.
0: <laughs> yes, the situation Ain't looking pretty. And if you go to our website, I forgot to show this image on in our last episode, www.lostromanheroes.com. I'd like to start things off with an image that we created using J- ChatGBT of young Octavian and young Marcus Agrippa strolling into the city at the age of 19. What do you think, Mateo?
1: So I'm assuming Agrippa is the one on the left, right?
0: Yeah, is the tough-looking guy on the left that has some muscles.
1: Right, and Octavian's the measly-looking guy on the right. <laughs> he's, he's that guy. Yeah, uh, you could
0: just see the big brain there at work, but he, he didn't have much brawn to go along with it. So, this is where we are. We are entering a world in which Octavian is inevitably going to clash with... Who? Who?
1: Oh, Mark Antony.
0: Oh, yeah. kind of happened. No way it can be avoided. Because when Octavian left Cicero's house on that first day back in Rome, he was perceived to be the Senate's man, right? Right. Because he was Caesar's heir. Caesar was killed by the Senate. But in some weird little dynamic, this young kid, who in fact was calling himself Caesar now, was like right there on that fine line of the balance of power and Cicero in the Senate saw him as i don't know might they have, if they saw him as a patsy or some kind of counterweight uh to, to 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 Antony
1: I think right, they, maybe they thought huh
0: I, no you go ahead sorry
1: no 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 it's all you Mm-mm. what
0: do you think they saw him as
1: I don't know. Maybe someone that could be easily manipulated, controlled. I
0: assume so. He's just a kid, right?
1: 19 year old. Right, kid. He's just a kid, no experience, scrawny.
0: They probably saw a pawn. I agree with you. So Cicero was leading a party in the Senate that didn't want civil war. And they were worried about Antony trying to turn himself into the next Julius Caesar. And they looked at Octavian and said, we can use this little punk that just became massively wealthy, inherited two thirds of Caesar's fortune, inherited Caesar's name, became Caesar's son. We can maneuver this kid to our own benefit. And boy, oh boy, did they underestimate who they were dealing with. Now, remember that we're, we're talking 44 BC and Antony, Mark Antony is the sole remaining consul, right? Caesar had been consul, Mark Antony consul, Caesar's now dead. So Antony is the last consul and his year is sort of running out. It's May and he has, what, seven more months to go.
1: And he's not too popular.
0: Uh, by the way, I just did bad math. Uh, he had May 5, 7. Yeah, 7 more months to go. No, he's he's not terribly popular at all. And remember, there were many amongst the conspirators that when they murdered Caesar, they wanted to murder Antony as well. And, and Antony's aware of it. So as his consulship is drawing to an end in 44, Antony starts maneuvering to make certain that he maintains a position of power even when he's out of the consulship. Originally, the Senate had assigned him, remember after your consul, the year after your consul, you're sent somewhere to be a provincial governor, right? To kind of get you out of the picture, the political picture in Rome and and you do a year somewhere where you can get fabulously wealthy because you milk some province for your own good.
1: Yeah, pro-consul, right?
0: Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Yeah, pro-consul. But Antony didn't want to go to Macedonia, too far away. It's out in the boonies, right? He wanted to be someplace close to Rome, where he could continue to be a power player. And so what is the closest, super important province that was the springboard for Julius Caesar himself?
1: Cisalpine Gaul. You got it. it.
0: You got it. Cisalpine Gaul. So he said, you know what? No, nah, I think I'm going to take Cisalpine Gaul. <laughs> the sense like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we already chose. You don't get to choose. We choose. But Anthony passed some laws and and sort of tried to give a legal pretext to him being the governor of Cisalpine Gaul in 43 B.C., so the next year. But there was one tiny little eensy weeny problem. Do you know what that was? What's that? There was already a legitimate governor of Cisalpine Gaul that had been... Mm-hmm. Well,
1: was that anyone significant or no?
0: It was one of the conspirators, one of the main dudes that.
1: Oh, wasn't it Brutus? Or?
0: It was Decimus Junius Brutus of right, yeah. So he remember he was the guy that convinced Caesar to go to the theater of Pompeii on March fifteenth. Right,
1: he was the most responsible. Yeah, a two Brutus, a two.
0: He was right there. No. But no, he wasn't that Brutus. He wasn't, he was all oh, right. Really, there was two, I forgot. Yeah, this was the guy that served with Caesar in Gaul, and he was the one that led the navy. No, he was defense. the second heir, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, he was the he was the second heir, or or third heir, because first was Octavian, second was Brutus, the Brutus, and third was was Decimus. So right. Des, decimus was already in Cisalpine Gaul, according to the Senate. And Mark Antony had a tiny little legal problem, which was remember right after in the, the day after Caesar was murdered, Cicero brokered a deal, sort of a truce between Antony and the liberators, the guys that, that killed Caesar. And in that truce, they said, okay, listen, the Senate will accept all of Caesar's laws. So whatever Caesar said and did, it, it still stands. It's legal, including all of Caesar's appointments. And this decimus dude, who had killed Caesar, was actually appointed to be the governor of Cisalpine Gaul by Caesar. Isn't that crazy? It, it's kind of sad. It is. It's profoundly sad.
1: Because Julius Caesar was full of friends and then he had nobody at the end. He had absolutely
0: nobody. And at everybody the... exploited him. It really is incredible, isn't it?
1: Yeah, everybody around them exploited him. Yeah. And they all got, they all got, um, what's it called? Karma. They all got like fear, uh, revenge.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, they and, all ended
1: up in bad ways.
0: And they did indeed. And we're going to see it in the next few episodes. It's going to take some time, but they all get what's coming to them. That's for sure. But at any rate, so Anthony wants this Alpine Gaul, but Caesar put somebody else in charge. One of the guys that wound up killing Caesar uh, and so there's Anthony's feeling pressure, he's feeling pressure and not just from the fact mm. that he's being marginalized and sent to some little province, but he's starting to feel pressure from a little punk kid in Rome that's 19 years old, whose name is now Caesar, who controls the bulk of Caesar's wealth. And in addition, he's controls six, man. six thousand Caesars of Caesar's vets, the hardest of the hardcore. And this Octavian punk dude didn't just stop there. He went about raising additional men aggressively. He's building a private army. The Senate didn't approve a private army, but he's doing it nonetheless. He is one of these guys. It's like the perfect example of somebody who asks for forgiveness and not for permission, that's Octavian. And, and in fact, Matteo, as the year is drawing to a close, Octavian convinced two of Antony's legions to come over to his side. How did he do that?
1: that has got to be a deep wound. Yeah. It's got it to piss him off. Big time. Yeah, he just stole two of his friends.
0: Not only did Caesar not include Antony in his will, and he certainly wasn't Caesar's heir. He really didn't get anything. But now... Octavian's going for the jugular. Like, how dare you? 19-year-old kid, no experience. How dare you? Right. But he did. So Anthony tried to marginalize Octavian. And, you know, he, he kind of teased him as being a country bumpkin. You come from a tiny, like a minor family of no significance. Your last name is, your, your cognomen is Therenas. Hey, Therenas. Hey. Uh, but who stood up to defend Octavian in the Senate. Agrippa? No, well, it wasn't Agrippa. I mean, he would defend him through thick and thin throughout his life. But no, actually, Cicero kind of put himself in the position of...
1: What? That's so uh, weird. Cicero hated Caesar.
0: Yeah, he did hate Caesar. But Cicero stood up in the Senate and said, I quote, we have no more brilliant example of traditional piety among our youth.
1: Like, okay. He's the last, like, he's, he's... Like, he's young, but he's, like, an old soul almost.
0: Yeah, but I don't think... I I don't know if Cicero's admiration was genuine or if he's just buttering the guy up and using him as a counterweight
1: to... Oh, that's true as well. Yeah. But who knows? Yeah, but if he was as wise as they said, then I don't know. Maybe,
0: Maybe. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it was genuine. Maybe Cicero got a little glimpse of what Caesar saw so clearly in this young guy, Octavian. So this brings us to December of 44. Antony's consulship is expiring in a couple weeks and Antony decides to leave Rome and he does not march to Macedonia. Instead, he marches north to Cisalpine Gaul because the new governorship would start on January, January 1st of 43 BC and he intended to be that governor. In the meantime, Decimus is up north, Mateo, in a t- town called Mutina, which is the modern town of? Can you guess? Modena. Modena. Yeah, you have a friend from Modena, right?
1: Yeah, right. he's an F4 racer.
0: That's pretty amazing. Well, yeah, Modena is makes sense. It's the home of Ferrari, the house of Ferrari. That is right. So Ferrari was about two thousand years in the future at this point. Right. That's where Decimus is holed up behind the walls of Modena. Antony gets there and he lays siege to the city to try to, well, quite simply, crush Decimus. Whatever it took. Antony's prepared to do it. The Senate sent messages to Antony and to, to Decimus saying, guys, what are you doing? We are all on the same side. Stand down. But the two of them ignored the instructions. Why?
1: At this point, they were just all warlords.
0: You nailed it. At this point. I have no power the Senate was irrelevant. Yeah. It was all about power. Now it's might makes right. And the Senate didn't have that only power that counted. They did not have armies really to speak of, or at least not enough to take on Antony. So here we are on January 1st of 43 BC and two new consuls are elected and they take their positions in Rome. By the way, both of these consuls, Matteo, had been selected by Gaius Julius Caesar. And so these these were among Caesar's last appointments. One of them was Ten. named Gaius Panza, or his, his full name is Gaius Vibius Panza Cantr- Cantronianus. We'll just call him panza. Tenia una panza.
1: Tenia una panza grande.
0: Tenia una panza bastante grande. Uh, for our non-Spanish-speaking uh, listeners, panza means,
1: Mateo? Stomach.
0: It means tum-tum. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does. Anyways, this panza guy was the son of a, a what's called a moneyer, one of the people that's authorized by the state to mint coins. He was of Etruscan descent. He had served with Caesar in Gaul, and he was what you would call a moderate caesarean. So he was pro Caesar but he wasn't like off the reservation, let's kill everybody that stands in our way. And he he did not approve of Mark Antony's actions in any way, shape, or form. So he wanted to collaborate with the Senate, but he didn't want to destroy Mark Antony either. But he was one of the consuls and the other was a a guy by the name of Aulus Hirtius. Now this Hirtius guy, we haven't talked about him before, but he had served as a legate under Caesar in Gaul since 58. So he was one of the very early senior military men, senior officers underneath Caesar, when Caesar waged illegal war in Gaul. He was loyal to the boss. right? And by the way, this Hirtius guy, Matteo, it came up in my, my research. On January 10th of 49, so the day after Caesar crossed the Rubicon, he sat down and had dinner with Hirtius. That's how close Hirtius was to Caesar's inner circle.
1: Right. He was one of the Knights of the Round Table type of
0: thing. He, he was. He was one of those guys that said, hey, Caesar, maybe you broke the law, but you're my man.
1: He was in the fellowship.
0: Yeah, he was in the fellowship or in the mob or whatever you want to call it. He was one of he was one of those guys. He was a made man. Right. And after Caesar was murdered, Hirtius was very much pro-Antony.
1: Right, because he was like, it's like family. It's yeah. like uh, when the boss dies and the other boss takes over.
0: That's right. So you had two new consuls. One was they're both Caesarian, but one was you wanted to work with the Senate. The other was pro-Antony, but now they needed to do the Senate spinning. So for days into the new year, the, f- the first week or two of 43 BC, the Senate is debating what to do with Antony, what do you do the guy is laying siege to Decimus in Modena. What do we do? As Antony was waging, it was was an illegal action, so it wasn't approved by the Senate. He was going against a senatorial guy, but Antony was Matteo, not to be trifled with. Again, getting back to what you said before, the Senate didn't have much in the way of military might. Antony commanded a good chunk of what remained of Caesar's legions.
1: And he was... Fairly sharp militarily. The truth is,
0: we make fun of him, but he was brilliant militarily.
1: Right.
0: So, there were many in the Senate that wanted unity with the Caesarians. You know what, Let, let's just let's negotiate with Antony. Maybe we can throw him a bone. Uh, we definitely don't want to reignite civil war. And both the consuls were sort of in that camp. But finally... The senatorial side sort of won. The side that said Anthony has crossed the line; he's breaking the law. We need to make a move against him. And what does a move mean, Matteo? It means we need to relieve Decimus. We need to fight Anthony. Right. But there's one tiny little problem. What might that be? Can you guess?
1: You want to have a commander? I don't know. The army. There's no army?
0: They don't really have much of an army. They don't have enough men to go after Antony, But there's somebody that does.
1: Oh. Who? The young kid from down the block.
0: The 19-year-old, skinny-necked, big-headed, probably big-eared, big-nosed kid that was going around calling himself Gaius Julius Caesar. He had some men. In fact, he had sort of an illegal army of 6,000 men that had once served under his adopted father. Mm -hmm. So what did they do?
1: They called up his phone. And said, Hey, Octavian, what you doing?
0: (laughs) We were just thinking.
1: Yeah, oh my God. We were just thinking how much fun it would be. If you came to my party this weekend.
0: Yeah. We got this really cool club. It's called the Senate. And we're thinking that maybe you wanted to join, even though you're completely unqualified and you're now 20 years old.
1: And none of us like you.
0: And none of us really like you. And that is exactly what happened. Because on January, in the month of January of 43 BC, 20 year old Octavian was inducted into the Senate. He's now a senator, hasn't done a damn thing in his life, and it gets better. It gets better because on January 7th, a week later, he was granted powers of imperium pro praetor, meaning he was given the official powers to command troops. He's never commanded troops. He's really never done anything in his life uh, to speak of, but now the dude
1: is... Basically, the, the only fighting chance.
0: And he's become a Senate, fast-tracked into the Senate, and fast-tracked into military command. And the Senate also authorized his private army. So his private army is now no longer his private army. It's officially blessed. Here you are. You are a senatorial army. And you are a commander with the authority of the Senate behind you. Not bad.
1: Now I can do whatever you want. Yeah.
0: So this guy that had very little experience uh, was now blessed by the Senate and instructed to move north with the two consuls to relieve Decimus. But think about this for a second, Mateo. Octavian, whose name is now Gaius Julius Caesar, is 20 years old, sent north by the Senate to protect... One of the principal dudes responsible for murdering Gaius Julius Caesar. his adopted he can't father. make
1: this us up.
0: Yeah. And he needs yes. to fight adopted dad's best killer. friend.
1: No? Oh, yeah. He has to fight his best friend and protect his killer.
0: That's exactly right.
1: Kind of crazy.
0: The world is upside down. Right. But you and I both know this is exactly the kind of stuff that Octavian excels at. This is a world of 3D chess, and that just happened to be the young man's specialty.
1: And Yeah, he outthought everybody.
0: Yeah, but how is he going to think his way through this one?
1: It's mental warfare.
0: Well, we shall see. So the two consuls in Octavian are moving north. Uh, Octavian left first with the consul with Hirtius. And they went north with five veteran legions, Mateo. And veteran legions means Caesarian legions. All right. By the way, when we say Octavian went north, for certain, Octavian is moving north with Agrippa. But again, Agrippa wasn't written into the historical record, you know? And, and the craziest thing about it is, and you and I have speculated about this in, in a couple episodes, he, he probably would have been happy with it that way. You know, he didn't want to appear as a headliner. He wanted to exist in the shadows to help his BFF. Except
1: right. he just wants to stay low. He was never one for the spotlight.
0: Yeah, that is the case. So, Ot- Otius, uh, sorry, Hertius and Octavian are moving north through Italy. And a short ways behind them, consul number two, Panza, was marching up the Via Emilia. And the Via Emilia is the major Roman road that connects Ariminum, modern Rimini, with Mediolanum, modern Milano. And it passes through Mutina, modern Modena on the way. All right. So they're all marching up the Via Emilia. Octavian and, uh, and Hirtius are first. Panza is bringing up the rear. Antony is monitoring their progress and he saw that this was a major force, right? So he started falling back. Um, And he realized that if they were allowed to mass together, these two armies, with the addition of Octavian's troops, he was going to be outnumbered. And so if he were going to survive this thing, Antony knew that he couldn't allow the two consular armies to, to join together. He needed to separate them and make a move on the two of them independently. So first he sends out skirmishers on the Via Minna and he tries to draw Octavian and Hirtius into battle, but they refused to engage. You know, their objective was to make it to Mutina and to relieve the siege of uh, Decimus. And so they just kept marching. They maintained form and, and didn't engage the, the, uh, the attempts to draw them into battle. So now Antony knows if I can't get these guys to fight, I got to make a move on Panza. And remember, Panza was the guy that was pro-Antony, right? He wanted to bring Antony back into kind of harmony with the Senate, but but that point had come and gone. So uh, Antony left the forces besieging Mutina under the command of his brother. How about that?
1: Was his brother also a general?
0: Lucius Antonius, yeah, he was a general as well. Decorated? Uh, decorated. I think not as brilliant as as his brother, but 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 competent. So Lucius Antonius, Lucius Anthony, is responsible for the siege now of Modena, and Antony moves out to engage, um, Pansa. By the way, Pansa had three legions of Caesar's vets including the storied Legio Martias, which is the Legion of Mars. Um, and that's kind of scary. Yeah, it is. But you,
1: plus the you had Legion a bunch of God,
0: of, the Legion of God. So you had the Legion of God, plus a bunch of raw recruits. And uh, Lucius made a feigned attack on the camp of Octavian and Hirtius to keep them in place while Antony marched on Panza. Now, this Via Emilia Matteo, it, runs towards Modena, and as it gets close, it gets very narrow with marshes on either side. And Antony took some of his best troops, the hardcore vets of Caesar's campaigns, and he put them into the swamps on either side of the road. And they hid there in the marshes. And then he moved his skirmishers forward to engage Panza, who was advancing north, in the middle of the road to kind of drag them forward. So Pansa is chasing the tail of Antony's army, moving into the perfect position for an ambush. And right there, about 15 miles outside of Modena, Antony sprung the trap. On April 14th of 43 BC, in a little town that's called today Castelfranco Emilia, uh, then it was called Forum Gallorum, Antony sprung his trap. So you can imagine his men leaping out of the marshes, attacking Pansa's army in this narrow spot in the road. But Pansa had the Legio Martius, and those guys stood their ground. The raw recruits broke and ran, but the Legio Martius did not budge. And in fact, they gave as much as they got, and then some, they split themselves in two and they entered the marshes. They entered the swamp to go hand to hand, head to head with their brothers because they were fighting their brothers. It was a fratricide. What was it was would... a civil war.
1: It yeah. was a civil war.
0: It was a civil war. What would Caesar have said if these... he saw these men who had fought together under him for eight years, ten years? fighting to the death.
1: I think you would have cried. Yeah. I I really think you would have.
0: I think you're right. Because he was also an emotional, sensitive guy.
1: Right.
0: Mateo, this was a very bloody battle. And the historical sources say it was a silent battle. You know, when you have young recruits, you need commanders that are barking out commands to keep everybody in line, right?
1: Right. Right.
0: These guys were as hardened and seasoned as any warriors perhaps that the world has ever known. They didn't need a commander. They knew what they were fighting for.
1: Right, they they knew what to
0: do. Yeah, they fought silently, furiously, to the death. No quarter was offered. This was hand-to-hand combat. And gradually, the battle started to swing in Antony's favor. You know, in the swamps, the Legio martis started to give ground they were simply outnumbered and on the left flank hansa was leading in the swamps and he was wounded seriously by a javelin and he had to be carried from the field Uh, and he was transported back to Bologna. that was their fallback position that's modern bologna and when the new recruits saw their general the consul being carried from the field looking like he was kind of dead they broke in a panic and fled. And, and that was basically it. There was no holding back the tide of Antony's troops at that point. That was the end of the battle. Uh, so Antony and his Caesarian vets are, are victorious. He could have pursued Pansa. He could have pursued the Legio Martis, but the day was getting late. His troops were tired. They said, you know what, let's, let's let them go. We, we did this, we won but let's, li- let's live to fight another day. You know, we don't want to get trapped in, in an ambush right. or spread our lines thin. So he started, Antony started retreating back towards Modena and his veterans, where you can imagine, how do you think they felt? At any rate, I'll tell you how they felt. They felt like they, were, they won. They were exultant. They just, at the end of the day, they may have triumphed over their brothers, but for these old soldiers, they triumphed. So they're marching back to Modena, Pilot. Did yes you that? no i will afterwards when i move it over to guitar band oh, okay okay so, so let's keep going these guys had won and knowing that they won they're marching back to to camp feeling pretty good about themselves and feeling like they didn't need to be on guard anymore because they had won
1: you know
0: they're probably slapping each other in the backs gradually ambling up the via media but playing with a slap ass. Yeah, but what they didn't know is that Pansa, as he was being carried from the field, managed to send a message to his fellow consul Hirtius and his little buddy Octavian. And Hirtius responded immediately. He scrambled the legio for Macedonica. This is one of those legions that had been waiting for Caesar to go on this campaign against Parthia. It's one of those legions that felt loyalty now to Octavian because Octavian had spent time with him, remember? When he was waiting for, for Caesar.
1: Yeah.
0: So anyways, the Macedonica was crisp, fresh, and ready for battle because they hadn't fought that day. So here come Antony's vets wandering up the Via Emilia and they stood no chance. In swoops Hirtius, Mateo with the Macedonica Legion and pummeled Antony's men. They suffered serious losses and had to retreat. And amongst those losses, Antony lost two eagles and 60 standards
1: that day. That's an embarrassment.
0: And that was the end of the battle of uh, Forum Galorum. So what looked like an initial loss for the forces of the Senate wound up sort of turning into a victory by the end of the day. And the big question is, this episode is about Octavian. Hello, Octavian, where are you? What did you do on April 14th of 43 BC? Well, not too much. We, first of all, we assume that Agrippa was there with him, but we don't know for certain. Right. We, we know that Octavian had sort of remained in camp outside of Modena. So Modena is a walled city, around the walled city are Antony's troops. And somewhere off to the side is Octavian with a couple of Caesarian legions trying to figure out a way to break the siege of the city. So we know that Lucius Antony had made a diversionary attack on Octavian's troops and they were repulsed. So Octavian did something. There was some attack that was made on him. He wasn't a main player in the day. He was a bit player, however, Octavian's troops acclaimed him at the end of the day as Imperator.
1: That's kind of funny, though. He didn't really do anything.
0: I don't know. I guess he did enough to convince his troops to give him a slap on the back and say, doing good, buddy. You are Imperator. You have Imperium. And remember, in order for somebody to be granted a triumph, they need to be acclaimed Imperator by the troops. So... Uh, Octavian just got a major move up for reasons we don't entirely understand.
1: Well, so, we can only assume when, what were the true events of the of the day.
0: That's the truth because all this history got whitewashed by Octavian over the subsequent years. Right? Everybody right. was kick, k- kissing his butt, and so we don't. We can never really know what happened.
1: Yeah. So uh, maybe that's why he included the imperator thing there.
0: It's possible it got At added. when you're America. on like those
1: day shows, like Jimmy Fallon, and there's a sign that says "clap and laugh." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It I, was think like, right. it's <laughs> I think you're
0: right. I think you're right. I, I think it's yeah. It was stage managed. I, I completely get that sense as well. That's well put. So news now, Matteo is flying back to Rome. And uh, when it gets there, Cicero gave another and his last major anti-Antony speech, remember the Philippic uh, speeches in the Senate, and a few days later, a few days later, on April 23rd, this is a week after the battle, Pansa unexpectedly died. That's weird. Yeah, why? In fact, his death confused contemporaries. We'll talk about this more in a second. And in the meantime, news gets back to Rome. The first news that got to Rome was that their forces had lost and they were, you know, distraught. Oh my God, Antony won. And then another letter arrives from Hirtius uh, four days after the battle saying, no, 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 we didn't lose. We actually, we won. Uh, And whatever sympathy there might've been in the Senate before for Antony was, was long gone now. And Antony decided that, He couldn't risk another head-to-head battle. He just didn't have enough men. He was outnumbered and he was fighting against hardcore Caesarian vets. So instead of going after Hurtius and Octavian, he's just going to focus on the siege. Try not to engage these guys in direct battle, but don't let up the siege on Decimus. And then we got to April 21st of 43 B.C. On April 21st, Octavian and Hirtius decided to make their move. They were going to finally break the siege, right? They were going to attack the besieging army directly. And they tried to open up corridors between Antony's army and the city to try to relieve Decimus. And, Mateo, for for sure now, we know that Octavian is in the field. Right. Antony saw that if he was going to be able to maintain the siege he was going to have to engage. If right,
1: not. I have to go
0: for yeah.
1: I have to go for Octavian.
0: Yeah, he, he, he didn't have a choice now. And his men are ceding ground because they're outnumbered. And Hirtius, seeing that things were going his way, decided to press his advantage. Instead of attacking the men around the walls of Modena, he decided to attack Antony's camp directly. And he led a charge into the camp Going directly towards Antony's tent. Wanted to end this thing. He was going to kill Antony himself. Around the same. Yeah. That's that's ballsy. It is. Lop off the head and and let's end this thing. And around this time, Decimus decided to make a sally out of the walls of Mogana. So. You have Hirtius diving into Antony's camp, going for Antony's tent. You have Decimus coming out and trying to pressure Antony's troops. And at first, it looked like Hirtius was going to pull this off. He had the upper hand. But then the core of Antony's army was led by the Legio V. And they were fighting against Legio Three, which was the core of Hirtius' army. So you have... It's sad these
1: Caesar. guys are all brothers raced together.
0: They're all brothers. You have Caesar's Fifth Legion fighting against Caesar's Third Legion. And then the Third Legion, Matteo, after having started out so strong, starts to give up ground. And in the midst of the melee, Hirtius fell dead in the middle of Antony's camp. Now, here, it would seem, if we're going to believe Suetonius, who doesn't always say nice things about Octavian, this is what Suetonius said about Octavian in this battle, because now Octavian is also engaged in the fight. According to Suetonius, in the thick of the fight, when the eagle bearer of his legion was sorely wounded, he, Octavian, shouldered the eagle and carried it for some time.
1: That's pretty crazy. It is. If it's true, if it's true, that's a lot more than I, than I ever thought Octavian would be involved in battles. I
0: agree. I agree. Surprised me too. And according to Suetonius, Octavian fought personally. This is personal fighting. Viciously threw himself into the thick of the battle to try to recover Pertius's body. He wanted to preserve the dig- dignity of his fallen comrade, the consul. Eventually, Octavian made it to his body and with other troops. I mean, the skinny little dude couldn't have, I can imagine he made it there with Agrippa and Agrippa is the guy that carried Hirtius's body out. But nonetheless, they made it to Hirtius's body. They recovered the body. Uh, they had lost the battle, but at the very least, they saved Hirtius's honor. And they were forced to retreat. Now, Antony hadn't exactly triumphed, but Antony hadn't been wiped out. And I guess for him, in a sense, that was a victory. And he wound up killing a consul. But Octavian. Right, so. Octavian. They both got their
1: good punches in.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, for Octavian, what do you think? This is.
1: His first time. Yeah. His debut leading an army.
0: Yeah. And it so, was probably mostly
1: Agrippa, but
0: I agree with you. I think it was mostly Agrippa. And like this is probably whitewashed history. Nonetheless, he was out there. He he was in a battle. We don't know exactly what he did. Um, but you know, I will say that it there were other well, you know what? We'll talk about this in a little bit. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into rumors quite yet. So in the meantime, news, uh, news was, was received a short time afterwards from the Senate, right? So the Senate learned of this battle. They learned of Hurtius' death, and the Senate sent a nice little letter to Octavian saying, Dear Octavian, please give up command of your allegiance to the rightful governor of Cisalpine Gaul, Mr. Decimus. How uh, do you think Octavian responded to that one?
1: Must have thought it was a prank, though.
0: No. Yeah. What it do you doesn't think? Make a lot of sense. What do you think he said?
1: He probably, I don't know. He he probably looked. He probably got a little mad. Well, just a little annoyed.
0: Yeah, I I think he got a, a little annoyed, and his response was quite simply, in a word. No, <laughs> no. So you, so you're telling me I need to take Caesar's legions and give them to one of Caesar's murderers? No, no, I'm not going to do that.
1: And the legions that he spend spent time recruiting and and building up as well.
0: Yeah, and and you can imagine these guys aren't going to serve under Decimus. No way, no how. So Octavian took control of eight Caesarian legions. They're loyal to him now. They're not loyal to the Senate. And so Decimus, inside the walls of the city, sees his position seriously deteriorating. Not only does he have Antony to deal with, but now he has Octavian with eight Caesarian legions to deal with. So he fled Mutina or Modena. He fled the house of Ferrari. And his objective was to make it to Macedonia, where he wanted to link up with his two brothers in arms and fellow murderers, Brutus and Cassius. But as we saw a couple episodes ago, he never made it. Because he wound up getting captured by a Gallic chieftain en route and he was executed. So you said it the hand of fate there it is.
1: Came swift. Yeah. Karma.
0: Yeah. Karma starts coming for Caesar's killers. And Karma started with Decimus. Decimus. Like a curse. The, yeah, it's like a curse. It's like those guys that opened up the, the tomb of Tutankhamun. So that's the first one down. But in the in the meantime, Antony didn't realize that he had kind of won. <laughs> I mean, so, so the day after the battle, you have Decimus fleeing Modena for, for Macedonia and getting killed. But Antony also fled. He snuck away. And it's not the first time we'll see Antony do this. He marched quickly from Modena to Liguria to the shore somewhere next to Genoa where he was joined by one of his uh, lieutenants, a guy by the name of Vintidius Bassus who joined him with three additional legions. So Antony escapes and he's, he's regrouping and trying to figure out his next move. Which leaves this kid, Octavian, who it seems like was was the only winner. He was the only winner of these two battles, right?
1: He was playing yeah. mental warfare.
0: Yeah. And by the way, it was around this time, Mateo, that, that Panza died, the other consul, which, as I said before, it was kind of weird because Panza had been injured, but he wasn't dying. But then he did a funny thing.
1: Just kicked the bucket.
0: He died. Yeah, he wasn't dying. But then he died. And this is the, the rumor I alluded to. Even in Octavian's day, rumors circulated that maybe, 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 maybe Pansa's death was not a natural death. Maybe he did not die as a result of his wounds.
1: Guess and, we'll never know.
0: But maybe, he, yeah, we will never know. But maybe the, the, the suspicion was Uh, Maybe
1: there was some foul play involved.
0: You got it. And behind that foul play was Octavian. Octavian, 20-year-old Octavian, cleaning things up. Pertius was dead. He had control of one consular army. Now he just like the scene the godfather. Completely.
1: It's taking out the other families.
0: Yeah, taking out the other families. That's right. So now both consuls were dead. Pretty convenient. Octavian was in the field. And he had official powers, he was pro-praetor, and he was now in charge of all of the Senate's legions. And actually, this Roman historian, Suetonius, who was writing about a century after these events, said the following. As Hirtius lost his life in battle during this war and Pansa shortly afterwards from a wound, the rumor spread that Octavian had caused the death of both in order that after Antony had been put to flight and the state bereft of its consuls, he might gain sole control of the victorious armies. The circumstances of Pansa's death, in particular, were so mysterious that the physician Glyco uh-huh. was
1: imprisoned. Huh? my teacher.
0: No worries. The physician Glyco is imprisoned on the charge of having applied poison to his wound. And Aquilius Niger—I don't know who that is—but Aquilius Niger adds to this that Augustus himself slew the other consul Hirtius. Amid the confusion of the battle. Whoa.
1: Yeah, sure. Sure he did.
0: But what do you think? No, seriously, though. Do you think that's a possibility?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. Actually, I think I think he would have the killer instinct. Like, I think he would kill him without any remorse. Like, it wouldn't bother him at all. Because you're so calculated. But at the same time, it doesn't seem like he'd be able to slay anybody
0: well maybe he wasn't the one that wielded the sword maybe somebody did it for him
1: he's probably when they gave the order though
0: maybe it was an Agrippa is the one that would Agrippa have killed Hertius if Octavian asked him to I think so I sort of think so too and it's pretty easy to bribe a doctor to administer a poison to Pansa where he's lying there in bed wounded I mean, is Octavian a psychopath or he's just cold calculating whatever is required to get to the top?
1: Um, I think he's just cold calculating. Yeah. Definitely not a psychopath though.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll never know. But what I found incredible about this is that this isn't just kind of modern day speculation. Uh, Octavian's own contemporaries thought the same. So this is the turning point, Mate. whether or not Octavian was involved in the death of Hirtius and Pansa, it almost doesn't matter. This is the turning point. This is the inflection point where this Octavian guy goes from being a kid with a name and money and a brain to being an equal to the other major players on the board. That was the reality of his power now. He was a major right.
1: player. He wasn't just a rich guy that could take, uh, take, uh, they could uh, take advantage of.
0: Yeah, because he's in the field with control of both consular armies, both of whom are personally loyal to him. But the Senate didn't get it, because back in Rome, the Senate is praising Decimus to the high heavens. Oh, Decimus, you held out against Antony. Oh, Decimus, you're so brave. And they didn't say much about Octavian.
1: Classic rich kid club.
0: Yeah. How do you think Octavian felt about that?
1: Probably probably a little scorned, probably a little disrespected, but you probably, probably expected it to be honest. Yeah. You probably looked at them with disdain because well, I mean I, they're just they're basically. Since before they even knew them, they were basically just racking up reasons uh, for him not to like him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I don't think he was surprised. So this is what he did. He said, you know what? Really? You're going to treat me like that? Well, guess what? I'm not going to fight your little war against Antony anymore. I'm not going to pursue him. How about that? How does that make you feel? You're the Senate. Well... I bet they
1: just started praising him just as much.
0: Yeah. And so then, Octavian, still in the field, in control, sends an embassy, a group of centurions, sends them to the Senate to speak on his behalf. That's pretty bold. And this is what he asked for. He formally requested to be granted consulship to replace Pertius and Panza. And... He requested that the Senate revoke the order condemning Antony as an enemy of the state. And the Senate said, What do you think? The Senate Hell
1: no. Said?
0: Hell no. Yeah. The Senate said, Hell no. No, you can't push this around, you little punk. And so the little punk marched on Rome with eight legions. Sorry? The little punk marched on Rome with eight legions.
1: Yeah, and then they didn't think he was little anymore, did they?
0: Yeah, and when he got there, there was no resistance at the Pomer- P- Pomerium because there was nobody left to resist. That was it. That the Senate didn't realize that it was now powerless. It was a paper tiger. And on August 19th of 43 BC, Octavian, surprise, surprise, was elected consul. If, uh Yeah. Along with a relative of his, some, some guy named Quintus Petius, who's sort of irrelevant and disappears. I think he dies shortly thereafter. But yeah, so here we have 20-year-old Octavian is now a consul of Rome. Meanwhile, somewhere under the Alps, not far away from where you are right now. Quite close, actually.
1: That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it is. Antony had an important meeting. He had an important meeting with an old friend. Not not exactly a friend, sort of a frenemy. Remember when Antony was, when Caesar was, was fighting Pompeii in the East and he left Antony in charge of Rome. He was the magister equitum.
1: I do remember. Yeah.
0: And Antony did a horrendously bad job at it. He was. I,
1: I noted. Yes.
0: Yeah. Drinking and having illicit relations with people and having people killed and just generally yep. having a good time. Yeah. And Caesar came back and said, Antony, you suck at this job. I'm going to replace you. I do remember. He replaced him with a guy named Lepidus, Marcus Aemilius Lepidus.
1: That's it. We've talked about a Lepidus before, right?
0: He's shown up a few times. We haven't talked about him directly. So Antony and Lepidus had an important meeting beneath the Alps. And I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Matteo, but we've received some messages from listeners saying why wouldn't why don't you do an episode on lepidus and we haven't done it he's a fascinating guy but we've spent so much time in this period that i feel like we like if we do one more episode in the same general time period
1: we're going to lose our minds
0: we're, yeah we're going to lose we're going to start losing listeners and droves but i wanted to give you a little thumbnail sketch of lepidus's history right he was the son of a consul he was the brother of a consul He was married to Brutus's half-sister. He was born in 89 BC. Remember, Caesar was born in 100, so he's 11 years younger than Caesar. And when when he was 46, Caesar died. And he he had enjoyed the typical ascent for a Roman noble. He started out as a member of the College of Pontiffs. He became a minter of coins. Then he was a praetor, led men in battle. In 52 BC, he was named Interrex. Remember the Interrex position? No. Lepidus Lepidus was the last Interrex in the history of Rome. So, I don't
1: remember what the Interrex was.
0: Interrex was a position, well, it means literally in between kings. It, it, in a period in which there are no consuls, an Interrex is elected to hold.
1: Oh, election. I do remember this.
0: Yeah. That's a cool
1: sound. We talked about that like the first couple episodes. We
0: did, very early on in the podcast. So Lepidus was the last interrex in the history of Rome. He also received a triumph along the way for his success in battle. And in 46 BC, Caesar placed him in charge of Rome, as we discussed, after he removed Antony. He was Caesar's partner, maybe a junior partner, definitely a junior partner. But he was a guy that Caesar trusted to rule in his name, which says quite a bit. So much so that when the conspirators thought about, like once they had the plan to kill Caesar, they also thought about killing not just Antony, but Lepidus as well. But Brutus said no. Brutus said, you know, this isn't a coup d'etat. We're not throwing over the government. We're just murdering Caesar. And on March 14th of 44 BC, the day before Caesar was murdered, he had dinner at Lepidus's house. I mean, that that's how close they were.
1: Did Lepidus, was Lepidus in on it?
0: No, he wasn't in on it at all. He was fiercely loyal to Caesar.
1: So he was even like a better version of Mark Antony.
0: He he was. He Antony knew about it. You're right. Antony was a hothead and he knew about it. Lepidus did not know about it. And he was a pair of steady hands. The day after Caesar was murdered, when Antony ran away because he was afraid he was going to get killed, Lepidus brought troops into Rome. He calmed things down. And in fact, Lepidus's plan was to punish, hunt down the conspirators. Let's find these guys and let's kill them. And Antony convinced him, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that, don't do that. Stand, stand down the troops. Why? We'll never know. Because Antony was the hothead, a little weird. So shortly after this, Lepidus became Pontifex Maximus. Remember that was Caesar. Yeah, yeah it was Caesar's position for many, many years. After Caesar came Lepidus. So he was the chief priest of the Roman religion. He went to Spain after that uh, to prevent Sextus Pompeius from taking over. He did well. He became the governor of Spain. And then here we are after the Battle of Mutina. Lepidus consents to meet Mark Antony underneath the Alps. Antony, what do you want? I'll tell you what Antony wants. Lepidus is one of the few guys left, Matteo. that's sort of trusted by both parties. He was an honest guy. He was a Caesarian, but he wasn't extreme. And he was smart. He was honorable. Yeah. And so Antony said, Lepidus, let's join forces. Let's join forces. And Lepidus agreed. They struck up an alliance in the waning days of 43 B.C. And now there was just one more piece of the puzzle that needed to fall into place. Because remember, Octavian had told the Senate, I'm not going after Antony anymore and let's dismiss charges against him. So that's how in, towards the end of 43 BC, somewhere outside of Bologna, which was then called Bononia, Lepidus and Antony met a young man named Octavian. Their armies were lined up on either side of the river and the three men met and spoke and they agreed that their interests were uniquely and completely aligned. So what were they going to do? They would take a little page out of history. Mateo, do you remember? I know you do. The first triumvirate?
1: Of course, kind of hard to forget.
0: Okay. And who did it consist of?
1: Mark Antony, Crassus, no, Crassus, Pompeii, and, and Caesar.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it was kind of, remember in the beginning, it was in the shadows. They didn't call themselves a triumvirate. It was just like, it was a mobster type.
1: Yeah. A secret meeting that we didn't know of, like Casa yeah. Nostra. Yeah. Casa Nostra.
0: Yeah. So these three said, that kind of works for us. Why don't is- we. Take control.
1: And let's make it a publicity stunt.
0: Yeah, yeah, because these are, we don't need to be quiet anymore. Things are so far gone now. No need to hide this thing. Because the Republic had no one in charge. Back when in the first triumvirate, there was still a sort of a functional Senate. But no more. So they formed an alliance on November 27th of 43 BC. This is just 21 months after Caesar's death they decided that they were gonna carve up the empire between the three of them. So they returned to Rome and they got a tribune, one of the tribunes of the plebs for the year, plebs. His name was Publius Titius. They got him to pass a law known as the Lex Titia. And the name of that law was Triumvirai Republicae Constituendi, meaning the three-man commission for restoring the Constitution of the Republic. They were given extraordinary powers.
1: And just like that.
0: Just like
1: Everything, history just repeats itself. Everything was reversed.
0: Yeah. But you could sort of imagine that Antony would have wound up here and maybe even Lepidus. But the third leg of the stool is Octavian. He's now a titan.
1: Who doesn't have a lot to show for it.
0: No. How did he maneuver himself into this? Two years.
1: Everyone else else had nothing.
0: Yeah. 20-year-old Octavian is now jointly responsible for running the world with Mark Antony and Lepidus. 20 years old. Where do you go from here, Octavian? Where do you go from here?
1: What do well, you think? The top. There's only there's only one way to go when you're already at the top. Where? Oh.
0: You keep going up. I don't know. doesn't <laughs> make sense. But you could fall as well, right? When you're on the top, one tiny little misstep, everybody's gunning for you, including these two, the other triumvirs.
1: Right. You don't How trust do you- them. You made yeah. a pact, but very...
0: Yeah. How do you know you can trust them? There's some pretty big egos, especially Mark Antony. Is, oh, the, of world, course. is the world big He's enough? Is big
1: ego too. Octavian's a big ego, too.
0: Huge ego. So, I think we ended here, my son. I think we end so episode too. 28 here, and to our listeners, there are two more Octavian episodes to come, but as you can see, things are heating up. The young man called Gaius Julius Caesar is now one of the three most powerful men in the world at the age of 20. And we'll see what he does with that remarkable historic power in the next episode. Mateo, before signing off, I wanted to share this image with you that I created using ChatGPT. It's sort of how I imagine Octavian looking at the age of 20 as one of the three triumvirs and that's mark antony and, and lepidus standing Yeah, and you
1: have these two soldiers on, on the sides of you and you're just some rich kid yeah yeah i like it it's pretty good i mean antony looks great maybe a little older than i would have thought but also he's yeah a soldier
0: i agree yeah he's a little older than i would have thought as well but it's tough to nuance the age in chat
1: lepidus is cool
0: but I'm gonna. We'll post this to www.lostromanheroes.com. Uh, and to our listeners, thank you. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode. Now that our sound quality issues have been worked out, thank you so much for your patience. Please continue to email us at info@lostromanheroes.com. At Send us messages on Instagram at lostromanheroes and on Twitter at lostromanheroes, and leave us reviews, pretty please. We really need them. Reviews on, uh, on Spotify and, and reviews on uh, iTunes make all the difference to us. And my son, we haven't looked at countries for a while, but I just want to say one thing. OMG, Serbia. OMG, Serbia. Take a look at our reviews, uh, excuse me, downloads for the first two weeks of February. U.S. Huh. in first place. Serbia. Serbia in second place
1: that means <laughs> at least two people For, 43 that means at least two people have downloaded every episode yeah
0: it means two people are binging us in serbia which is so freaking cool thank you so much after serbia comes uk canada germany italy and colombia que paso colombia que paso <laughs> colombia <laughs> colombia dropped out of the top five uh but i just wanted to say serbia that is so cool mateo i don't know if you knew this by 18 different Roman emperors were born in Serbia, including some of our favorites, Aurelian.
1: Wasn't Justinian?
0: Justinian, Probus, Constantius, Maximian, and of course, Constantine the Great, all born in Serbia. To the people that are listening in Serbia, welcome. It is so cool. We're honored that you're enjoying the, the podcast. And if you have any ideas to all of our listeners, for Lost Roman Heroes to put in our list that where you'd like to see an episode on them, please send us a message. We would love to hear from you. And that is it. Please join Nikola us. Nikola Jokic
1: is also from Serbia. Who is? Nikola Jokic. Who's that? The basketball player.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Is he, he good?
1: Jokic is the best player in the world. Is he really? Yeah.
0: Who does he play for?
1: We watched the, the final series when it was the Heat versus the Nuggets.
0: Oh, yeah. That's right.
1: That's all you're peeing
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. okay, completely forgot. Completely forgot. All right. He looks actually very served. That's cool. All right. So that's it. Thank you to everyone for listening. We're profoundly grateful to you uh for your loyalty and for your interest. And we hope to keep bringing you awesome content, especially now that we're back with sound quality. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you very much. Mateo, do you have Thank anything you. else to say?
1: Thank you. Appreciate it. We try to get better every time. And next time we'll be better than the last.
0: All right. Good. So
1: long. And we'll talk to you next week.